Fast Forward Radio Show. Fast Forward Radio is the official podcast of the Speculist Weblog. Our blog and this podcast are all about the future. We cover futurism, accelerating change, development, and uh, well, every you know, pretty much that whole gamut. And uh, we're and nanotech really is a part of this, and uh, and so we're glad to have with us this week Dr. Pearl Chin, who's already on the line with us. And uh, welcome, Dr. Chin. Hello. How are you, Stephen? Doing great, doing great. And also I've got with me uh, as co-host this week, I've got P.J. Manny. P.J., uh, you didn't realize you were going to be auditioning for co-host when you were our guest a couple of weeks ago, did you? I had no idea. Probably (laughs) best you didn't tell me. (laughs) I'm kind of glad we didn't because it's good to have you on now and uh, we didn't scare you away with that. (laughs) Likewise, thanks. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Anyway, Dr. Pearl Chin is uh, the president of the Foresight Nanotech Institute and I got to tell you, my uh, my regular co-host Phil Bowermaster said he could not be more bummed out that he is missing this evening. He is uh, on the road this week, and uh, he is really, you know, really uh, hates that he missed this particular program, Dr. Chen. And we're, but we're glad you're here, glad to have PJ here, and glad to get to visit with you here in just a second. Um, I wanted to mention in passing, real quick, that we've uh, that a friend of our weblog. Um, it goes by the name of uh, Triticale. That was his uh, nom de plume, I guess. He was uh, his real name was Tom Arnold. He passed away of leukemia uh, this week. Um, he, I've read his blog and I've read his comments all over the blogosphere, and of course uh, at our own blog, The Speculist. He was always such a, a neat gentleman, and uh, he had a great sense of humor, gifted thinker, writer, and I know. Uh, he'll be missed by uh, Phil and I both, and uh, but really everyone that he, uh, every blog he contributed to and his own as well, he was just a real neat guy and hated to hear that he had passed away. So anyway, that said, I wanted to uh, go ahead and begin our interview, uh, uh, Pearl, and uh, let me just introduce you if that's okay. Oh, sure. Okay. I, I need, Pearl is, Dr., Dr. Pearl Chin is one of these people that I could spend too much of the interview time introducing her. So I'm going to try to keep it short. She has extensive experience in strategy and marketing, consulting. Uh, she's done management consulting. She's done operations, sales and marketing, uh, customer service. She's been in diverse industries, been in little businesses and, and, and in huge companies. Uh, she specializes in advising on nanotechnology investment opportunities. And uh, and she's obviously a pro- prolific writer on nanotechnology, investing, business, management, and social issues. She's had articles in Nanotechnology Now and Nanotechnology Law and Business Journal. I was just checking the Nanotechnology Now site, and uh, it's like a page long of just the list of the articles she's done. Uh, she's actively sought out to speak about and be interviewed on pretty much anything about nanotechnology-related topics. And uh, she is now the president of the Foresight Nanotech Institute. And so, you know, we feel very honored to have you, Dr. Chin, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me, Steve. Oh, great. Um, well, I guess, you know, in visiting with you, kind of getting ready for the show, I said pretty much what we want to talk about is the things that are exciting you uh, in nanotech. Uh, what, what's, what's happening now that, 
you know, really is exciting. Well, I, th- I think uh, for me what's always exciting is, uh, I think for many people as well, is sort of all the advances they're making in sort of, you know, cancer treatments and cancer detection. Um, I mean, I don't think there are any of us who don't know someone that's been afflicted in some way or somehow uh, with some sort of cancer. So it's always been uh, wonderful for me to hear about any new advances in that particular area, especially with the nanotech and bio-nanotech. Right, right. I mean, we had, and just a good example is our friend who died just this week. It, you know, um, our commenter. I mean, it's, it's just like you say, you just can't, uh, you can't get to, you know, whatever age you've gotten to, and not know, uh, you know, uh, at least a dozen people that uh, have have battled cancer or have uh, lost lost the battle to cancer. Absolutely, absolutely. Just, yeah. Um, what so nanotech is is you know the things that are coming forward at this point are detection or treatment or both. Both, absolutely both. Uh, I mean, obviously, one of the most difficult things is detection. I mean, once you you, you find it first, and of course, most of us uh, you know don't find it until it's far too late. You know, many of us ignore the signs until it's far too late. So it's really helpful to have. Uh, detection technologies that can, you know, you can really have sort of an early intervention uh, that is as well painless as well um, to be able to sort of find out uh, what's really going on. And there are so many different cancers, you know, you can't even begin to, to figure out what exactly you're looking for half the time. So this is, this is, these are great strides that are being made in this particular area. When do you see these strides manifesting in uh, usable technology that doctors will be using in, you know, doctors' offices? I think I think we will see detection probably uh, within the next five years or so. Um, there's a lot of strides being made in that area, and detection is, is a, one of the easier things to implement in the sense that you know the FDA approvals and things like that. It's not as difficult nor as complicated to get through. Um, so I think you'll you'll see that uh, happening far uh, far sooner than you'll see in terms of therapies and things like that. Although I, I think there are a fair amount of things happening at the moment as well, but but it's not going to be able to go to to, to human trials for for some time. So do you mean things like drug delivery systems? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some wonderful things being done there. Um, but because, you know, because we're very careful with our FDA and everything, you know, it's going to take a little longer for those particular therapies to get into the, uh, into, into the, the regular medical treatments. Um, well, you know, some countries don't have the FDA uh, governing. I mean, is it possible that, we, that some, some of these treatments will be, uh, will be seen in other countries before it's, we see it here in the United States? Well, it's quite possible, quite possible. I mean, as it is, there are people who are going to other countries for, for therapies already, so I don't really see this, uh, particular, I don't see this particular practice falling off anytime soon. Right, right. Well, I mean, it pays to be safe, but it, if you're dying of cancer, then, you know, at some point you just go, well, you know, I'm, I, I should, perhaps I should try this if it seems to be working somewhere else. I, I can understand, you know, both sides of the argument, you know. Um, well, uh, and so is cancer detection, and how would that work exactly? What what kind of cancer detection? Um, you know, what is nanotech? How how you how would you use nanotech to detect cancer? Well, I think what they've been doing is they're becoming much better. Uh, and actually, a lot of this is very biotech as well. There's a, there's a lot of overlap the bio nanotechnology and biotech in general. Right. Um, you know, you, what you're doing is you're looking for uh, proteins uh, or markers. You know that that people will exhibit because there's some reaction to some sort of particular type of cancer cell, whether it be prostate or ovarian uh, or breast cancer. And each types of those cancers will sort of you know make the body throw off these particular types of, of of reagents. And the idea is to pick them up. Now, usually, what happens at very early stages, you're not really seeing a lot of this in in your blood. 
Um, so, you know, the sensitivity of most of the instrumentation that we've had so far uh, is not able to pick it up, even though it's, very, it's, it's present in, in your body in minute amounts. And what nanotechnology is, is, is able to do is be, is be able to create uh, sensors as well that are uh, much more sensitive uh, to picking up these just sort of minute uh, 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 quantities of, of these particular sort of target markers. Um, and that's what's really sort of exciting. The sensitivity levels of detection uh, are, are much greater than they used to be. And, uh, and obviously computers are part of the picture, too. I, I suppose you, you, you use nanotech to get, you know, to... To, to uh, you know, find out what's you know what proteins you're dealing with, but I guess uh, you have to you'd have to go through the data, which might be a, a mountain of data that you you know, and, and they, they would use some sort of statistical methods with a computer, I suppose, to to come up with a diagnosis. I guess is that is that fair? Yeah, I guess I mean those those go hand in hand with most most detection systems. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that the most important. Uh, obviously, I think the most important part is picking the right marker, or the right protein that you're looking for. And once you do that, you get get a little bit of a spike, right? So, and then the, the, the computer stuff is what you're sort of sort of uh, ironing out the signal to noise ratios and amplifying that signal to make sure that you're you're seeing and or the gain and to make sure you're seeing what you're you're supposed to be seeing versus you know standard noise. And obviously, if you're finding this stuff, like I think he kind of said this before, if you're finding it earlier, your chances of winning the battle against cancer, I mean, obviously, would improve. Oh, absolutely. I mean, most of, I think most of the cancers that are, are the most deadly are the ones where the symptoms don't show up until it's far too late. I mean, by the time you start seeing symptoms and things like ovarian cancer, um, it's, you're, you're pretty much like in very, very late stages already. So to be able to pick these up at a very, very early stage and you know, maybe even routine screening, actually, uh, would be a huge jump on, on the uh, survival rates and, and uh, you know, and treatments as well, but survival rates on top of that. That's I think the routine. I'm sorry, PJ. Go ahead. Say, that's the part I find so fascinating is the idea of these routine screenings. That you know you no longer have to wait until you have advanced stage. That this could just be part of your yearly physical, and you can see when the markers turn up. That would be an amazing stride. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I, I'm sorry. I was just saying, you know, like you say, human nature is such that if you know we wait until we have the symptoms, we're, we're going to think, you know, it can't be me. This is not it. You know, and you you put it off, and then maybe it's too late. If it's part of a routine screening, every time you go to the doctor, you know, your analysis, you know, they take a little blood or something, then, hey, uh, they, you know, you don't have to wait until you finally convince yourself that maybe I need to go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, now, yeah. I've got a question. I, I noticed that there's now something called the American Academy of Nanomedicine, and are you a part of this? Um, yes, I think I've been invited to be a board member. <laughs> <laughs> to add to the many uh, board seats you already have throughout the nanotech <laughs> industries? Well, I, I, I think it's an exciting position to be in, um, and I really admire the work they're doing. So, very interesting. Um, so, where do you see the the next steps? You know, we, we all talk about how in nanotech in general, is, is it's being used already. It's simply you know working with the very small, and everybody jokes about the stain-free pants and the sunblocks. But where do you see uh, outside of medicine sort of the next wave of of material coming out of uh, coming to? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, I mean, I, I tend to think that I, I have I have a personal penchant uh, 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 with the the cancer therapies. I, I do tend to see there may be some applications for clean energy and water, uh, and obviously that's that's very much a, a foresight you know a challenge that we we, we pursue. Um, I think there may be strides there. Um, I. I think um, 
before that, I mean, I mean, short of the stain-resistant pants, which I think is actually fabulous. I would say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I know people make fun of it so much, but I think I think it's a great idea, and I, <laughs> I mean, it sure it sure is going to you know save me a lot of money on laundry bills, and I don't you know it's funny <laughs> thing. It's not sexy, uh, but absolutely is fantastic. Um, well, I a stain on your pants, stained pants are not not nice either. So yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's it's an important uh, breakthrough, but. Yeah, we we all we're all looking for the nano factories, I guess, and uh, that's obviously science fiction for a little while yet, I guess. Well, I mean, I think we're the most uh, uh, impact and improvements and money that'll be made is in those sort of you know the sort of what seems mundane. Um, you know, like I said, it's not sexy, uh, but it's functional. You know, uh, you know what else? Uh, silver. What do you call it? The uh, the, the washing machines, I forget exactly if it's Samsung or, or another company that's doing it, you know, that's in, in, uh, introducing silver particles into your, into your laundry and your wash to sort of, you know, uh, reduce bacteria or, you know, uh, get rid of bacteria in your clothes, which is what causes most of the, uh, the smells, you know, when, when you're uh, in, in terms of your dirty laundry. Um, I mean, all that kind of stuff is absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, most people have known about the benefits of silver, but even sort of micro, you know, sort of nanoparticle type of silver, it's fascinating. Well, you know, environmentalists go nuts when they hear things like that. Um, is is there any kind of issue of a danger uh, with these nanoparticles that it could hurt people? Uh, you know, I mean, whether it's in your laundry or anywhere else. Well, I I think there's always some danger if if you're exposed to too much of it. Uh, you know, too much of a good thing is always you know bad. Uh, everything in moderation, obviously. Uh, it gets to be difficult to control, you know, uh, things like that at some level if it's constantly injecting things into into your wash or into your system. Um, so you do have to be careful, I believe. Uh, but I don't think you need to, to go crazy about it. Um, it's interesting because, uh, you know, what the, in particular silver, it's kind of interesting because um, it also has sort of antimicrobial and, uh, um, what do you call it, uh, disease-fighting type of uh, uh, properties as well. Uh, a lot of people who are ill take uh, a microparticle or nanoparticle silver, or colloidal silver, as some people say, uh, and some people use it for wounds and things like that because it kills germs. Um, so I don't know. It really depends uh, which particles you're talking about. Um, I think How about carbon nanotubes or, or uh, various carbon, you know, things that, as they're used more, they'll be more in the environment. Well, this is interesting. I mean, you know, uh, carbon nanotubes, uh, I think there are the same issues there as, as in terms of when we have those issues about asbestos uh, or even, you know, carbon fiber, you know, carbon fibers and things like that. Um, you know. Obviously, carbon's already, I mean, everywhere in nature. I mean, you can't, you can't avoid carbon, so it would, like, artificially manufactured carbon things, would that be any different? I mean, or is it the same? Here's, here's the thing. Carbon nanotubes are not typically used in huge quantities either, uh, partially also because they're very expensive. Um, but typically, just like, uh, like you know, carbon fibers and things like that, uh, carbon nanotubes are usually uh, fixed in some other type of medium, uh, you know, sort of like in a, in a, sort of a, a polymer or matrix medium or something like that. Um, so typically it will be sort of, um, uh, sort of fixed in, in, in something. So it's not free-floating or in, in the air. Um, in terms of, you know, will things degrade and it'll become in the air? Well, you know, sure, at some point it, it will degrade and become in the air. But so do tons of other naturally occurring nanoparticle things, um, you know, like soot and everything like that. And actually, obviously, everybody knows too much soot, you know, you get black lung disease. Um, but, you know, I don't think um, that 
that people use or will be using uh, nanotubes in such large quantities will become such a major problem. Um, I also think that if there are uh, you know, typical MSDS or OSHA type of safety standards, just like there are with any new materials, I don't think we have that to worry about, really. Um, we really just have to be a little more vigilant about making sure that there are sort of MSDS, which are material safety data sheets, uh, in terms of making sure people are educated on how to handle new materials in general. I think uh, that would be true of any new material, not just carbon nanotubes. And actually, carbon nanotubes are fantastic in terms of some new uh, cancer treatments that they're, they're, they're developing now as well. They're a fantastic delivery or vehicle uh, for, for, uh, for drugs. Uh, and also, uh, they tend to have this affinity for tumors if, if you really kind of functionalize them properly. So they'll just go straight to the cancer cell. Go fishing for cancer. That's an awesome idea, isn't it? Um, well, I'd, uh, I'd be interested to know uh, exactly what you do with the Foresight Institute. I think uh, the listeners might be interested to understand what Foresight does and what uh, your role in it is. Oh, well, this is interesting. I guess uh, Foresight Institute has sort of morphed over the years, but uh, I'm the president of the Institute. Um, I think what we are, we're sort of the oldest uh, uh, um, domestic uh, nanotechnology think tank. We do some public policy work. Uh, we do a lot of education work in terms of trying to disseminate information because I think that's really uh, what will uh, uh, make nanotechnology really uh, impactful for, for society. Uh, people need to understand what it is and what it's all about so we're not afraid of it. Um, that's partially you know, why I'm here on the show as well. Uh, but that there are great benefits uh, to nanotechnology, but obviously you know, everything in moderation, you know, if we regulate things properly, I don't think we'll have any issues. Um, so you know, also it, it's about, uh, in terms of foresight, uh, we also sort of look into the future as well. We want to make sure that you know, people's, people's views are heard because you know, technology serves the people at some point. So it, it, it's important to know what they're thinking and what they're afraid of, what they're not afraid of, and what they would like to see. And I think we provide the, uh, the forum for that. Uh, on top of that, we, you know, we have conferences and things like that where we can do that as well. So what do you think nanotechnology's image is right now to the public? Oh, I think it's much better now. I mean, nanotechnology, as most people have, have seen, has, has ups and downs depending on you know, what the media needs to, if they don't have anything to write about that day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How true. <laughs> Oh, and I, I, sometimes I, I just think it, it just happens. It, actually, um, sometimes it's just kind of luck that it's doing well, and other times it's just you know, there's just there's other things that people want to talk about, and they don't want to talk about nanotechnology. Um, you know, it can be very faddish sometimes, uh, but in terms of the research and everything, I don't think the research or any of the advances have really waned, uh, depending on uh, public opinion or anything. And it's unfortunate that the public opinion you know, can be easily manipulated by the media, depending on you know, what they need to write about that day. Um, but I think it's on the upswing right now in terms of uh, public opinion, and I think that's a good thing. I, I see a lot of money flowing into it now, and that could change in a few years, depending on you know, what, what, you know, what people are thinking in terms of the investors and what they feel like that day. You know, people's minds change. You know, sometimes people change their mind. They don't like chocolate anymore. They like strawberry. And, and, and these things happen. It's kind of odd. <laughs> Well, and it's also interesting because the media is much better at feeding a fear of the unknown when it has nothing to base anything on. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so you can you can talk about well, some people think this or some people think that. Um, how do you? What does foresight do to educate? Um, would it be the media? Do you educate business? Do you, who is it that you educate? We educate more the public, and uh, we talk to the media, obviously. Uh, we tend to work a lot with industry as well. 
Um, so, you know, we sort of talk to everybody, but I think our main focus is the public. Uh, I mean, we are supported mainly by public, uh, you know, memberships and things like that. Um, we do have relationships with industry, you know, a lot of our conferences, we have some relationships with some government researchers as well, so there's a lot of technical people we deal with as well to make sure we get all the information accurate. Um, but we do really, we, we provide a lot of uh, uh, forums for, for our members, you know, to talk about nanotech. Um, and not everyone in our membership is technical. So it becomes really important for us to sort of, you know, you know, talk about it in a way that people understand. Well, is there a danger that at some point uh, nanotech is everything to the point that y y your your mission gets a little bit diluted? I mean, I guess what, you know what I'm saying, that uh, I, nanotech is the science of the very small, and before you know it, everything will be the science of the very small. It's does so that, interdisciplinary. Yeah, oh, I, it, it crosses I, so many fields. Oh, absolutely, and that's what I think people find it hard to sort of wrap their head around. I mean, I am one of those people that will be the first to tell you that. Uh, nanotechnology does comprise of a, just about everything, just because everything on the nanotech scale is atoms and molecules, and we're all made of atoms and molecules. Everything we know is made of atoms and molecules. Um, but really what nanotech is is sort of the ability now for us to be able to see that at that level. I mean, before that, you know, technology, you know, our technology was not that good uh, in terms of being able to have that resolution to be able to sort of see things on that small. I mean, actually to see an atom, actually see a molecule. It used to be that, you know, uh, technical people or researchers sort of imply the presence of, of these things, you know, based on other tests that they would do. But now they can actually see them, which sort of opens a whole new world for us. I mean, to actually see things, now you can move them around and manipulate them and, and actually see what happens when you, you apply a stimulus and see what happens. Um, really is an approach. Uh, it's opening in a whole new way to, to solve problems. Um, you know, it's not just the small. It's, being, it's because you can be small um, and, and see it, you can, you, can, you can develop solutions in a much more tailored and very targeted, specific way, which makes it so much more powerful. And it just happens to sort of cross many, many disciplines, you know, you know in terms of the bio world, uh, physics world, you know, semiconductors and everything. And, and I think for many people, it's hard to grasp uh, because not many people are interdisciplinary, but I think you know to to sort of understand the world in general, you do have to understand things from from a mathematical and a chemical and a physics perspective as well. Um, so I think it, it, it I think it forces people to broaden broaden how they look at things in the world that they know. Uh, and for me, I think that's quite exciting. So do you, you saying basically you see nanotechnology as leading the way in an interdisciplinary science? Absolutely, I think it's a convergence of all the sciences that we know. Well, that's pretty big. <laughs> that, it doesn't yeah. get any bigger than that, does it's, it? It's really exciting, and can you imagine what the college curriculum is going to be? <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a huge fan of the nanotechnology college curriculums, but you know. <laughs> what, would you be, be, what would they be? I can't even imagine. Oh God, you could be like me and be in school forever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess that, that's kind of the thing. I mean, you have you'd have to be knowledgeable in so many different areas. Uh, I guess. Uh, to to contribute, I don't. I don't. I, I, am I wrong? Do you have to? Would you have to be just educated across the board, or does it? No, not necessarily. I think what you need to do is you have you need to have an appreciation of the different perspectives in terms of the, the different disciplines, and that they are, they may be adding a different uh, perspective uh, and a dimension to a particular problem. How to solve a problem that is. 
um, I would say, you know, really great work is done in teams. And I think I sort of came from that sort of a, a graduate research uh, background as well. I was very lucky to have a, a, an advisor uh, when I was a graduate student that put together a team of people who were from various different engineering disciplines to solve a similar problem. And it was great, you know, the way we would have our, 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 uh, our progress meetings because we would hear, you know, from different perspectives how to look at this problem. And I think that's what's really great. It brings people together, and it brings people to hear about different ways of solving or looking at a problem. Um, and I think, you know, I, and I think that's what's really great about it. And because you do that, you end up learning from each other. So it's not necessarily, you know, not it's not that you need to have a, a you know, a really a, 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 such a broad um, training in the university setting. Uh, I do think you need to learn that, you know, your perspective as a chemist or your perspective as a biologist biologist is a very limited portion of that whole the whole picture. You just have a little piece of it. And somebody else on the chemistry side, the physics side, has another piece of it that could actually solve that other section, that question that you have, because your bio, your bio training doesn't have the answers. So I think what it does is it pushes people to work together. Uh, and if you're really smart, you can, you, know, you can sort of straddle two disciplines. You know, so you can have an even even better perspective, but you know, you still you're still lacking on the other one. So you're going to need other people to to, to work with you to sort of make sure that you understand the that the problem is entirely so you can solve it. I find that really exciting, specifically because I always found that not just in the sciences, but this goes to humanities as well. When people think too in, in too limited a way within in too uh, too specialized a way within their discipline, they so lose the big picture of what they're trying to solve that it almost seems like it's impossible to solve. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, this is, because you are seeing this now across the board in other disciplines as well where, uh, you know, psychologists are working with um, neurobiologists who are working with behavioralists who are working with, et cetera, uh, to solve much bigger concepts and issues, which is, uh, I think, completely exciting. It's the, the point of everything. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's a bit of like it's a little bit like that that parable of the uh, the elephant where you have like the, the five different wise men. They've got each one. Each one has a section of the elephant. Right, right. <laughs> I just want the I don't want the tail. That's the only part I don't want. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and and that and that analogy works so well because the wise men were blind, and exactly. at the and at the nano level, we're all blind, uh, you know, or have been until just recently, and now we have all these different disciplines approaching. You know, the very very small and in, in, in slightly different ways, and, and and learning from each other. It's it's an exciting time, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And I'm glad you're part of it. So. Yeah. What got you interested in this? How did you get into it? Because we 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 really didn't exp uh, explain your background in much depth. Well, let's see. I think I sort of got into it by accident. I, mean, I, have, a, I have a PhD in material science, uh, and my and my background is chemical engineering. So I was already sort of moving toward becoming more of a generalist anyway. As, as I sort of went through school, um, and I think my graduate research was sort of on uh, was it ultra thin uh, polymer films for electronics packaging applications, and I, and I did some work at the uh, neutron neutron reactor at, the, at NIST, and so I was already sort of working on on systems that were you know super super thin. You know, we're talking maybe well maybe 50 to a couple hundred angstroms, which is about you know maybe anywhere from 10 to maybe 100 nanometers or something. So I was already on that scale already in terms of you know, uh, uh, nanotechnology. Um, and then I sort of moved into more of a, um, sort of more sales, uh, marketing, and also business strategy, which I found absolutely fascinating because 
you know, even though I was very deep tech, um, I, so, I sort of saw that business side as sort of rounding out the entire big picture uh, in terms of how technology can be brought to the world. Um, and, and I just thought it was, that was a fabulous thing. Um, so now I understood. I was trying. I was understanding how companies were working, how people were working together in teams, and how people, you know, developing products and bringing it to market, and, and how that sort of fit into the whole economy, and how things were priced, and how people valued certain things and didn't value other things. So it was sort of the market reactions. Um, and then I think I was just sort of coming out of uh, one consulting uh, uh, gig. And I'd heard about nanotech because at that point I was just so busy I wasn't even listening to half the stuff that was going on. And I and I started reading up on what was happening, and I realized, oh well, this is what I do. I already do this. So this is how I sort of got into it. I, once I figured out what they were all talking about, what all the buzz was about, I realized I was already doing it. Um, and for me, that was great because then I realized I should have I have a much better grasp on this than most people do. <laughs> Only because I had such a generalist mentality already that I was I was already seeing that interdisciplinary uh, uh, participation and cooperation and you know it just sort of you know just sort of opened whole, whole new doors for me so that's how I sort of got into it. Well, thinking about it on a on a sort of macro business level level or a global business level, how do you see uh, the international either nations or large corporations? Uh, how do they stack up? in terms of their development of nanotechnology? Are there certain nations that are developing it more quickly? Are there certain major companies that are developing more quickly? Um, I think, um, you know, obviously the, the, the United States has always been on the forefront, but I do believe that we're sort of falling behind. We've gotten a little bit complacent in believing that we are number one in terms of technology. And, and, you know, for a long time we were. We pumped a huge amount of money into research, and a lot of it is basic research, but we're not doing that as much anymore. Uh, you know, we're having economic problems, and I think most of the, the big companies are pulling back on their, their research monies, and I think that's a big mistake, actually, uh, and, you know, because they're, they're trying to meet short-term uh, uh, year-end, no, sorry, excuse me, uh, short-term, um, what do you call it, uh, uh, um, uh, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm glitching all of a sudden. It's yeah. all right. Yeah, you, people were, uh, uh, you know, looking at their sh the short-term uh, bottom line rather than looking at the long-term, long is that right? Right. Exactly. Look in the short term, they're trying to meet analyst goals, you know, on, on the markets, you know, everybody's on TV, you know, everybody's watching the economy and how the stock market's doing. So everybody's so concerned about meeting those sort of short-term, you know, quarter goals in terms of their share prices and everything that people just sort of completely lost sight of, you know, how that, that basic research is that, you know, it forms that foundation. And because of that, um, the other, other countries like Singapore and even, you know, Great Britain, uh, you know, they're just sort of like, you know, they're just, they're like, they're in Japan, obviously, oh my gosh, you know, in China, um, they're just sort of, you know, trying to fill that gap. Uh, and I think it's something to worry about. Um, but, you know, everything in the spirit of competition in that sense, I mean, you know, may the best man win. And if you actually can do better, you should absolutely do better. Uh, well, that's so why I, I think it's a little bit self-correcting, isn't it? Uh, if, if you ignore R&D long enough, uh, everybody's left you behind. And so, you know, it, it, you get slapped down pretty quick, uh, I, I suppose, when, the, when your competition comes out with some blockbuster drug or whatever. And, of course, so there are two kinds of R&D. You've got your short-term R&D where you have expectations, I guess it would be two to five years out, is that correct, um, usually? But then you've got long-term R&D. Like, I'm fascinated by this guy, Fred Cavley, who's been putting found his own personal foundation money into the work of scientists, and he's very into nanotechnology, uh, but specifically into scientists who will not be getting the government or corporate grants because it isn't for short-term realization. Yeah, much more blue sky stuff. Yep. Yes, exactly, blue sky. Um, I'm fascinated that there is a guy out there 
who is putting his money into blue sky research. It's actually it's interesting how uh, how the market works like that. It is very self correcting, like you said, Stephen. Um, you know, whereas you know sometimes you don't you can't you can't get money from government, but there's you know somebody out there who's willing to be an angel investor and to invest in something that no one else will, um, and they happen to be one with a heck of a lot of money. So yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you tend to you hope that you know everyone, all the millionaires out there, all the people who've made all that money. You know, you're hoping that they're going to give back and put it put it back in the community in some way, shape, or form. And this is exactly what they sh- they, they they should be doing. And it's wonderful to see that actually happening. So you know, I, you know, someone someone's going to drive it. If it's not the government, you know, someone will. And and it's good. That, Are there a lot more people like Fred Cavley out there, or is he he's the only one I can know I know of off the top of my head? I think there are. I think there are people out there who who are putting monies into research who they have a personal where they have a personal interest in. Um, you know, some of it is nanotech, some of it's not. You know, a lot of you know. I, I mean, we see a lot of money going into cancer research in general just because you know people have sort of a a person personal tie to it. Um, and I I think there are there are people like that out there. When I think of blue sky research, I think of DARPA. Um, you know, which is obviously government. It's defense related, but uh, there's often so much uh, uh, that those guys have come up with in the past that spills over into the private sector too. Mm-hmm. And they uh, they definitely have a mandate that's well, at least it used to. I'm I'm wondering if this has changed in recent years, but they certainly used to say, you know, if if you think it's impossible and it can't happen for 20 to 30 years, we're the people to do it. Yeah, we're working on it. We're working on it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I love those guys. <laughs> I love them, me too. Um, but I, but I do hear that that's even that's starting to tighten up. I think you're right. I think that is changing. I think DARPA is not not as much uh, focused on blue skies as it used to be, which is a shame, actually. Well, you know, I, I've heard recently they spend, they're spending a lot of time and effort on things like artificial limbs and things like that, and they're doing it for the short term so that they can, you know, people that have lost limbs in Iraq or Afghanistan have. Uh, yeah, obviously, that's good work too, and, then, and it's very, very important and needs to be done. Uh, but it seems like maybe we should be expanding the budget of, of, you know, DARPA, so that they can do that, and as well as the blue sky research that could help deliver the future. If only there was that much money to go around. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, most of the money is going into the wars, most people know. So. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, I read a. a, a uh, basically skimmed an article you had done, uh, Dr. Chen, about uh, about investing in nanotech and how you know some of these uh, funds that like uh, are labeled nanotech funds. Uh, what do you? How do you feel about those funds? Let me ask. How do I, <laughs> how do I feel about those funds? Yeah, you would. Oh, uh, let's see. Um, well, I tend to think you know there's a bit of a lemming mentality in in, in much of the investor circles. Uh, and there are a lot of people out there who are trying to sort of capitalize on the um, the buzz more than the actual research. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and I have you know, I've, I've got an MBA as well, and I have friends who are in investment banking and, and who are investors in general. And I, I I see things that happen that shouldn't be happening. I see companies that you know some of these investors or these investment bankers want to make go public, which probably shouldn't go public. Um, but you know, they're they're you know, for them it's all about making you know making sure the company looks great to the market, um, so that they can make a heck of a lot of money out of it. Versus you know, it being a very viable company with you know that has sustainability uh, and actually has a viable product that you know that people are willing to pay for. So there's a lot of manipulation in the market in terms of you know companies that are nanotech uh, hoping to make a fast buck. Right. Um, and I don't think it's just nanotech. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it's happening with biotech as well. There's still money floating into that as as well. But you know, so I see a lot of that going on. I see a lot of people just sort of putting money in uh, because you know uh, someone sounds good. Uh, but you know, I think most of the investors are not as tech savvy. And you know, and as we you know, even today we're talking about what exactly is nanotech. Most people only know what it is. So it it it, it makes me very worried. You know that there's, there's tons of money being pumped into you know maybe so-called investment opportunities. Um, that are not really viable uh, or not ready to be uh, invested in at that level uh, and maybe even should still be in the early stages or in terms of angel investors, you know, maybe not so early, early that, that it's blue sky, um, but, you know, it still needs to be sort of pushed along. It's not quite there yet. So, I, I, you know, I have some issues. You know, I think, I think they're just trying to make a lot of money, and I don't think they're really, you know, I mean, for themselves in the short term, I don't think they're really interested in, in making sure that the technology uh, is actually going to work. Well, you know, when the Internet got going, I mean, obviously people saw the potential. Of, and then, of course, we had the dot-com dot bust, you know. Uh, are you fearful that, you know, so, uh, that you have enough people out there, you know, hyping this claim or that claim, and then we get a bubble, and then nanotech, anything that's called nanotech from here forward has a bad name? I mean, is that is that a fear? or? Uh, yeah, yeah. I always worry that you know people are going to sort of uh, shy away from it after a couple of bad experiences, you know. And then when, you know, when, and when they really blow up, they really blow up. So you'll you'll hear about them. Right. Uh, but you know, I think uh, the savvier investors, the smart ones, you know, will 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 have people who are sort of technology, you know, with a technology background, but understand the business and understand the development uh, cycles, um, who really can do their due diligence. A lot of people just aren't doing their due diligence, um, and I think that's kind of scary. Um, but I am worried that some of the really good stuff is going to be looked over, you know, just because they're going to be lumped into the whole pile of nanotech and go, oh, well, it's all bad. And that's not necessarily true. You know, you, you've got to really dig, you know, for the really good ones. But most people aren't willing to, to look for that. They're just, you know, most people are just willing to make the fast stuff. So I am concerned that the stuff that really should be funded isn't going to be funded and it's going to be delayed, um, which will be, you know, uh, sad because, you know, it's some really great technology that can really benefit uh, a lot of people. So, yeah, I am concerned about that. So, and, and it is a delay, though. It isn't something where where that technology actually disappears, because certainly, you know, you look at, at, at the cycle, the traditional cycle of, of hype, bubble, bust. <laughs> um, eventually, the good companies will out. If somebody's got a product that serves a purpose, don't you think it, it does eventually come to the marketplace? I think it eventually comes to the marketplace. It won't. It may not come, you know, the way it originally intended. Uh, you know, you know what you don't, what you hate to see is you hate to see companies go bust because they they, they couldn't sustain themselves, even though they had great technology, although bad management. Right. Uh, and what you'll see is, you know, uh, and and like many distressed companies with distressed uh, uh, funds in that sense, you know, they'll people, someone will come in and buy the technology, buy the patent. So it will, it will end up somewhere. You know, it just will be delayed, and maybe in a way that people didn't really intend it to begin with. Um, but it won't, it won't, it won't disappear. Dr. Chen, I want to go ahead and open up the lines. Just uh, in case anybody would like to call in and ask a question of Dr. Pearl Chen, uh, this is Fast Forward Radio, and our call-in number is three four seven two one five eight nine seven two. If you have any questions for her. Um, well, and uh, I guess the the, the question I, I'm dying to ask, but it's kind of almost fearful to, is there is there any way as a, as an investor to really, to, you know, uh, to to get into uh, investing in nanotech, or is it all are pretty much any technology companies that you do your due diligence on? Is that is, you know just look at technology companies across the board, do your due diligence, and then invest appropriately, or how how should 
one go about it? Well, I would say, I mean, if you if you're sort of a risk-averse investor, um, I would you know I would risk I would sort of uh, uh, invest in you know well-known companies that have always done really good basic research. You know, the large companies like IBM, Dupont, HP. Um, you know, and that's a safe that's a very safe bet. You know, typically because they're large enough, and if they have issues, they have other products that will sort of you know. Uh, if uh, one goes bust, I've got other things going. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. You know, However, you know, if you're really interested in doing you know, some really cool now tech stuff, you've got to really take the time and because and, most of the stuff is private, um, that, that's really cool. Um, the stuff that's kind of public, you know, I'm a little wary of because a lot of, a lot of the stuff is sort of out there before it's time. Uh, and a lot of it is, is more intellectual property than, than, than product. Uh, and I have, that's a personal pet peeve of mine. I'm not into, you know, I'm not into the pushing intellectual property as much as I am in terms of product. Um, so you've really got to sort of do your, your homework or your due diligence and, and try to find out who's out there, what kind of companies are out there, uh, what kind of products are they pushing, um, and, you know, what's the plan, you know, what, who, who's their competition. I mean, um, you, you know, just as you would for any, any investment, even if it's public, not public. Um, so you know, it, it's not easy. If you want to go into this, you know, I, I would visit, you know, some, oh, I don't know. This is a tough one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, it, it, you know, you just, as always in any kind of investing, you just have to be careful, I guess. You have to be very, very careful. I mean, there are a lot of scams out there, too. You know, people are saying there's a nanotech company or they invest in nanotech and they want you to invest in them because they're investing in nanotech. Um, so you got to be really careful. Um, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that I get a lot of stuff, a lot of business plans come across my desk, and, and, and to me it's fascinating. But, you know, I'll, I'll know a scam when I see one. Well, and and it helps that you've got the background that you have to know, you know, you know that oh, this 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 isn't realistic. This is, you know, um, you, you have a built-in alarm, you know, um, oh, yeah. uh, you know, a BS detector, as I like to say. But a lot of people don't have that because, they, again, they just don't know. You know, often we're surprised by reality and uh, and then shocked that there are some things that have that are not possible. Uh, that we think ought to be possible. So, you know, I guess it just depends on how much uh, you're paying attention. Also, the flip side is, is people taking things on face value. My favorite is when people were putting nano in the front of every company name. There was that, you know, two- or three-year period where everyone was launching companies, nano this, nano that, and had nothing to do with nanotechnology. Yep, yep. Oh, that was bad. That was horrible. I was watching this, and I was going, oh, I cannot believe people are falling for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, and, and and I mean, if they were mixing uh, ammonia and, and and you know and you know whatever, you know any any two chemicals, I could call themselves nano companies, you know, and it'd have nothing to do with nano. It's just basic chemistry or something, you know, whatever. Yeah, I think generally, I mean, a rule of thumb is if something sounds really, really too good to be true, it probably is not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's just good old-fashioned wisdom. That uh, common <laughs> sense. Yeah, yeah. That, that works like, even in the nano area era. I mean, yeah, this stuff takes a while. You know, so if someone tells you it's going, they're going to market in the next two years, I'd be very wary. You know, um, just having you know, some, just having been somebody you know who used to work in a lab and you know, know other scientists and things like that, and, and know how how they sort of work and think. You know, it, this stuff takes a long time to develop. And if someone tells you it's going to like happen like tomorrow, or you know, and, and they're going to make you know they're going to go IPO in two years, I'd be really concerned. <laughs> you know, I'd be like, yeah. oh really? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, you, you've been on top of this for a number of years, and so you know the stuff that is going to come out tomorrow. I mean, the stuff that you, you know, you've seen the background, you've seen it move through the pipeline. What what cool stuff can we uh, can we expect to see in two thousand and eight? 
I don't know. I mean, a lot of the really cool stuff has already just come out, and it's still happening, I think. Uh, I think there's going to be a gap for maybe a year or two before you really see anything else. Um, yeah. I've, been, I just, I've been really enjoying, you know, stain-resistant pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what about batteries? You're convincing me to go buy some. Yeah. What about really? batteries? Um, batteries are not going to be near-term. I think they're having some issues in terms of manufacturing. A lot of the problems is, is I think people don't realize there's some really fantastic technology out there. I mean, stuff that comes out of lab. You know, our, our scientists are really, you know, our, our students and scientists are really great. Um, but, you know, from an engineering perspective, you know, they don't, they don't create technologies, you know, based on how easy is it going to make or how inexpensive it's going to make. And really what's going to, what, what's going to take What's, it, what's going to take is something that's going to be uh, not expensive to manufacture on a large scale. So a lot of stuff you know, that, that is fantastic technology is too expensive to make, uh, unless, of course, you know, you, you're planning on selling it to the military because they're probably the only ones who can afford it. Um, so I think yeah. people don't realize that, oh, you know, and, and, and I've seen some really great technology, but a lot of it is just too expensive to make or, or you know, the chemicals they use are too toxic for their environmental issues. You know, now you have to factor in the, the cost of cleaning up, you know, you know basically, you know, uh, toxic waste and things like that. And, you know, and people don't, real, don't even think about that side of it. Um, so people don't sort of see that whole big picture. So you, a lot of it has to be cost-effective manufacturing. Um, I, the, the stuff I like is the stuff that's already come out, which is like, you know, like nanoparticles that can, uh, um, uh, what do you call it, that reduce emissions. Oh, know. yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's handy. It's very, very important. That I mean, you know, like you say, it doesn't have to be sexy to to, to change things. That can be, some, you know, um, all we have to do is clean up our cars just a little bit, and and uh, and you multiply that by the number of cars on the road. Yeah, yeah. Well, they have they have coatings that they, they they're painting tunnels now. You know, that can reduce the emissions. You know, of the cars going through. You know, it breaks down the all the emissions in, into a non toxic uh, 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 gases. Um, you know, and I mean that's fantastic. I mean, you know, in terms of a, a global warming uh, a perspective, oh, yeah. a health perspective, um, I'm sure there was something else I was thinking about as well. Oh, you know, I mean, soft cleaning windows. I mean, you know, I think people thought maybe three years ago that that wasn't going to happen, and then you know, I think wasn't wasn't more than just a year ago that you know, Pilkington you know creates their self cleaning windows and they get bought out by Nippon Glass. I mean that. Now, that is, you know, like a classic example of how nanotechnology should be commercialized and come into the market. I mean, that's like a great story. Well, how does that work? I'm, I'm sorry, PJ. I'm just saying I'm waiting for my solar cells, my more efficient solar cells. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a game changer there. I mean, uh, That's a just, big game changer, and, and I'll be the first to sign up. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, you know, you just have to improve solar just a little bit, and then it becomes competitive with the grid, and then that changes everything, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, for solar, it's the efficiency, and then it's also the manufacturing as well. Solar cells, you know, you use some fairly, uh, fairly, uh, you know, highly you know, caustic acids and things like that for for, for manufacturing, for etching, um, you know, because we're talking about silicon and things like that. So, you know, if they can figure out a way to do it, you know, without all that uh, environmental issues and the danger, I think we can we can have a much better uh, or much more less expensive solar cell that you know, and practically every home can have it. That's great. That's great. Um, I, think, I think, Stephen, did you ask me about how self-cleaning windows work? Yeah, yeah. How, how, how does that work exactly? I mean, what what process does – how is nano involved in helping windows clean themselves? How does that work? I think uh, uh, this it's nanoparticles again, and I hope people aren't too sick about hearing about nanoparticles. <laughs> nanoparticles, I think your, your typical, uh, uh, you know, metal, when it comes 
small when you when they're at that level of size. Um, the surface area to volume ratio is is huge, uh, or you know much greater. I mean, I'm I'm trying to use layman terms. Um, so, and what, what's interesting is for some reason when it gets to that that level that size, um, the surface gets highly reactive. So now it becomes a, a catalyst. Uh, you know, just like your platinum, you know, catalytic, you know, catalysts and your catalytic converters, that type of thing. Um, so it becomes really reactive. And what happens is when, uh, you know, bacteria or, you know, dirt, which is organic, actually, organic material, uh, falls on these particular particles, it just, like, you know, it, it like, oxidizes and, like, you know, you know zap, it's, 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 like, broken up. Wow. Uh, does it, and and it, does that coating last forever, or is it is it something that has to per- periodically be replaced or... I'm not sure. I'll have to ask the windows. Window. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe I, I need to look it up myself. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> I know the, the steam-resistant pants, they, they start to lose their, um, their ability to, to resist stains of water. So I think you know, that, that, that's an issue. But you know, after several washings, I think it kind of loses the, uh, the effect. So, uh, <laughs> it's good for a while, though, and that's, and, and that's helpful, isn't it? It's great. Not to, but it's <laughs> oh, hard well. to Consider, I guess, planned obsolescence. So. <laughs> That's great right. Party, great party trick, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, Dr. Chen, we, uh, we're just, uh, I think we're running out of time here. Um, as, far, as far as the far future goes, I mean, you have, I, I understand, you know, you have to kind of, you, you know, talk about what really is and not, and not uh, you know, your hopes and goals all the time, but what are for the long term? What are the hopes and goals of what nanotechnology can uh, can accomplish? Oh, let me see. I mean, I think the goals are the same, you know, as when the Foresight Nanotech Institute first started. Um, you know, the idea is to some point, you know, have nanotechnology cost effective, you know, so that you know at some point it could eradicate poverty, um, you know, could provide clean water. Uh, health benefits, you know, you know, uh, to, to everyone, you know, regard, regardless of their income, um, you know. Uh, I mean, that's sort of the very, very sort of, you know, open uh, foresight uh, mission in, in that sense. Um, I think uh, the idea is to be able to, you know, create food and things like that, you know. Um, and in this sense, we're sort of moving back toward that whole molecular manufacturing uh, uh, idea. I think when Eric, Eric Drexler's book Engines of Creation sort of came out. Um, so I think you know in the long term that's still very very possible. You know it just depends you know what time span you're talking. To. <laughs> right. Well you know and uh, you know that's exactly you you, you know, if somebody starts talking about you know delivering a nano factory in the next couple of years, your your alarm bells go off then. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. yeah. So yeah, and so we just uh, once again you have to kind of be careful. You do your homework and. Uh, and before, certainly before you put your dollars out there, I guess. Exactly. Okay. Dr. Chin, thank you so much. Uh, PJ, I'm, I'm sorry I was kind of wrapping it up without going back to you. Is uh, Anything else you need to ask? Or? No, I'm great. It was oh, wonderful good. talking to uh, Dr. Chin. Thank you so much, Dr. Chin. Well, thank you both, you, PJ, and thank you, Stephen, for having me on. It was fun. Thanks. It was a lot of fun, too. Okay. Good night. Bye. All right, well, PJ. That, uh, it was very, very uh, interesting to get to talk to uh, to Pearl about all these things. I mean, um, you know, it's it's difficult to make a segue from something like that that's, that could actually change the world to, to smaller things. But I mean, um, obviously, she's right on top of it. Absolutely. I mean, nanotechnology has such potential to change everything, and it probably will. 
that uh, she really is on the forefront of some amazingly exciting stuff. Oh, yeah. She's on the edge, the cutting edge. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I've actually uh, seen – I'm, I'm you know, just going to make an abrupt segue here, okay? I, I saw a movie last week, The Golden Compass, and I know, PJ, you haven't seen it. I'm holding out for the holidays to take my kids. Well, you're going to enjoy it. Uh, it's, a, it's a good movie. Um, and you've seen a movie I haven't seen that I want you to talk about in a minute. You got it. Uh, I am Legend, right? You saw yes, that this indeed. Week? Okay. Well, I, I'm going to try not to give away too much to to ruin your experience with the Golden Compass. I'm, you know, it's it's. But I want to share enough to kind of whet your appetite. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, beautiful film. Looks great. Great cast. It's fun. I mean, in the if you've seen uh, uh, the the previews, you know that it's something weird's going on in this film. It's it's about a parallel universe. Everyone's soul is visible. They have companion animals that walk around with them that everybody else can see, and that's like you know your soul or whatever. And that that you know this, that weirdness is handled so beautifully, it becomes where it's not even distracting after a while. And um, and then the technology that's surrounding all that is a kind of a steampunk theme. I love steampunk. Oh, it, that. It, it can be gorgeous, gorgeous if it's handled correctly, and it is here. And uh, they got some, you know, some kind of weird energy source that's powering all this. It looks like, I don't know, balls of plasma or something. But it's, uh, it's beautiful. They got, you know, they got the zeppelins and the, you know, it's, uh, it looks like a, a horseless carriage rather than a car kind of thing that right. everybody's driving around in. It's, it's, a, it's a cool film. Um, it, it, it feels like that there's some gaps in the narrative, and of course you have to do that when you're adapting a book. Oh yes. <laughs> you know, when you when you're adapting a book, you can't include it all, or it'll be a six-hour movie. Exactly right. Or more, and so, you know, I, I felt the I felt the gaps in a couple of places, and I, you know, you can do it smooth, and but it, unless you're doing it to perfection, and and maybe even inventing some things to cover, you know, the plot holes that you leave by leaving out certain segments. Um, you know, you can't do it to the satisfaction of uh, of all the fans of the book, and then and are you know people that are new to it. So, you, so it, there's always going to be stuff like that, I guess, when you're adapting a, uh, something like this. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in fact, uh, I don't know if you want me to segue now to the I Am Legend. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, very interesting because there's similar issues with I Am Legend. I Am Legend's based on the Richard Matheson novella I Am Legend. Uh, which is a real classic, and this is the fourth time the movie's been made. Uh, Omega Man was one of them, wasn't it? Omega Man, Last Man on Earth, was Vincent Price, which was an Italian cheapie. Yeah. And then there's this hilarious company that does takeoffs of either uh, imminent movies to, that are going to come out, so they want to confuse people and think that you're renting you know, the other one, yeah. or, or just blatant rip-offs where they change the names and it's the same damn movie. They even take the, the ad campaigns and it's the same thing. And, and this one's called I Am Omega. <laughs> so, oh, man. Yeah, oh, it's so cheesy. Yeah. Uh, but I Am Legend is is as far from cheesy as you can get. I mean, the visually, it's stunning. Now, I'm from New York, and I actually had a really emotional time watching places I knew look like that. And how did they accomplish that? 
with extraordinary CGI. I'm still, I can't wait for uh, my husband and my copy of Cinefix magazine to arrive because I know it'll be the cover story. Um, and what's wonderful, uh, this magazine Cinefix has been doing it for like 25 years. They've been, they, they go really behind the scenes in a very detailed way for people in the special effects industry. And they really show how stuff is done. And I can't wait to find out how they did some of this stuff because the, the amount of plate work, blue screen, um, the, it, just, it is so beautifully art directed. When you look at the scene in Times Square where he's stalking in the high grass in the oh, center wow. of, you know, stalking deer in Times Square, it just, you know, with all the billboards you recognize and the, the theaters showing the musicals that you, you know, that, that were there. That, 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 yeah, oh, that was there when everything exactly, went bad. Exactly, when, yeah. when, when everything went terribly wrong. Um, in, in short, it's, it, it's a really uh, beautiful to look at film. Will Smith is truly one of the great stars of all time. However, the adaptation of the story had some enormous holes in it. A lot of uh, what I call, well, Hitchcock called refrigerator logic, those moments where you come out of the theater, you go to the fridge, you open it up, you go, wait a second. What about that? What about that? That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) While you're sitting in the theater, you were okay. Right, exactly. Um, So, you know, because the the trick is to keep the ride going as fast as possible. And and for the most part, they accomplish that goal. But there's a lot of moments where even in the movie, you know, my husband and I looked at each other and went, what? (laughs) you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Um, Well... But there are some there are some wonderful moments as well. Um, uh, however, I will say I I was not a fan of the zombie work. I will say they're they're uh, in this one they're basically vampiric zombies. The entire world has been uh, decimated by a virus to kill cancer to eliminate cancer that mutates and goes bad, and either you die or you're turned into this morphed. Uh, zombie slash vampire, you can't come out during the daytime, UV destroys your skin, so they live by night, they hunt by night, they, they're, they're cannibalistic, they hunt each other, it affects animals, etc. And only Will Smith can go out during the day, uh, and then at night he has to hunker down and pray the zombies don't get him. Uh, but the zombies really bum me out. <laughs> um, because they didn't look right? Or they what? just looked cheesy. Uh, this is where CGI, uh, to me, still has real problems, and that is that uncanny valley. Oh, yeah. Uh, where it doesn't look quite right, and your eye can pick out what things don't make sense and, and have been sort of glossed over in the design process, but for whatever reason, they haven't accomplished it just right, and they're, it's just jarring. Uh, well, you know, it seems to me it's, uh, that maybe they would have, uh, the best uh, compromise would have been to do the CGI on the backgrounds, but then use makeup on human actors for the zombies. Yeah, rather than I, try to do CGI zombies. Look, I, I, I would have much preferred it if they'd actually used real animals in a lot of the cases. The, the CGI lions didn't do it for me either. And then again, that's another Uncanny Valley where we know, we know what lions look like. We right. see lions. Um, and so they don't look quite right. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. However, the live dog is one of the biggest stars now in Hollywood. Uh, the dog who plays Sam. Oh, my God. The dog was hard dog. Out. Great dog, great, great movie, one of the best movie dogs I've ever seen. 
Well, he, 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 you're a big fan. He must have uh, he must have saved Will Smith a couple of times or something. I say Will Smith, but but uh, yeah, she's a she's a wonderfully she's a, a wonderfully evocative face. She's a, a just a beautifully trained German Shepherd, and uh, they left yeah. the CGI off the dog. I hope they didn't Thank try to goodness. make it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's only one moment. And I'm not going to ruin it for anybody. The dog definitely gets some some work, and and in fact, it may have actually been a prosthetic dog. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure. I'd actually have to really look at it and look back at it but yeah no she's she's a, a hey let me ask performer. this being involved in the film community does that ruin it your your experience are you taking apart movies too much to enjoy them now no um i would say for some people it doesn't for some people it doesn't for me i still go along for the ride in fact my husband is extremely um he could deconstruct everything when he watches it uh-huh. and, but he, he still can enjoy the ride too but i totally enjoy the ride and really can only think about stuff in retrospect and go oh wait oh wait oh wait Um, You know, for me, uh, the ride of of I Am Legend has some issues as well, uh, which lots of reviewers have have talked about, and I tend to agree. Um, But there are parts of it where you just go, wow. It's really, you know, sort of jaw-dropping in in its... You know, that project has been around... I'm sorry. um, That project has been around forever in Hollywood. Um, It was actually, at one point, it was attached to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, and Tom Cruise and Michael Douglas and Michael Bay was supposed to direct it. It's yeah. gone through so many different permutations. It's that one of those things that people began to think, hey, nobody, you know, it's never going to get done. Exactly. Um, and and I'm thrilled that Will Smith is the guy to do it because he is, if anybody can hold a movie and for large parts of it only act against a dog, it, uh, there are only a handful of people on the planet who could keep your attention for that long with no dialogue or talking to a dog who's not, <laughs> you know, not a lot of bounce back on that. Um, he really holds the screen um, in a way that a lot of people we call mute movie stars just could not. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, I've been a big fan of Will Smith forever and, uh, He's he, yeah he can he can uh, he can get me in, he can get me in a theater seat about as good as anybody I think. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to get back to my movie just real quick. Um, Golden Compass has got this controversy around it, which uh, you know. Have you heard anything about this? Have you, oh, I've heard a lot about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Catholic League and various other Christian groups are saying, "Hey, this is you know anti-religion and all that." I'm, I'm gonna, I got to tell you. I, I've read some synopsis. I have not read the books, and I understand at least one family member of yours, PJ, has. Oh, both my children have. Yes. Okay. Well, I've read synopsis of uh, the books, and uh, first books doesn't really get into it all that much. Uh, the magisterium is, you know, apparently maybe it was meant to be a stand-in for the Catholic Church, and then in the second and third books, it's a little bit more anti-religious, and the writer doesn't make any bones about it. He's he's an atheist, and. Uh, He's uh, involved in, uh, you know, in, you know, he his views come across in the in the in the books, but I got to tell you, I don't see anything that is all that, you know, shocking or anything in this movie at all. Um, you know, you just yeah, it, it's interesting because I also I from again I have to really read the books, but I've done a lot of reading about them. I've talked to my kids a lot about them, and from what I gather, it's not so much that he's anti-religion; he's anti 
authoritarian religion. He's anti right. a religion that says you can only do this and you can only and you cannot do this and we will tell you how you will live and that is the way things are and it's our way the highway. That's what he's against. And uh, the hey, big Jamie, let me uh, um, I want to bring in our caller here. If, if Phil is that you? <laughs> Hi, it is me. Hi, Phil. Hey, Stephen. Hey, PJ. Hey. Hey, I'm glad you made it, man. Um, well, I'm sorry to interrupt. You guys are doing great. I, I don't need to break the flow here. I, I, we were just talking about the Golden Compass. Have you seen that yet? Not yet. I haven't had a chance to yet. Looking forward to seeing it hopefully sometime this week. Well, and, and My daughter's out watching it right now, actually. Really? Well, she, I, I'm, she's in for a good time. It's a beautiful movie as far as how it looks. Um, the pacing, there's a couple of spots, and, and, and you know, and, the, and it ends on a kind of a weird note. Um, but I mean, it's it's set up for a sequel, and it's it, it's you know, it's uh, ultimately we will uh, judge it uh, as a trilogy, probably rather than as a single movie. But I, I, I enjoyed it very much, and would recommend anybody go see it. But I, yeah, I, Pete Day is exactly right. I think it's really it's anti-authoritarian religion instead of just anti-religious and uh really i mean that's that's not all that shocking i mean that's you know pretty much society has already bought that message as it is and and i i think and this is i don't think this is really ruining the punchline for anything but i think they they go after the person who not the person but the being that claims to be god and what you find out is he isn't god right so when they everybody talks about space or they kill god no well, actually they don't <laughs> They, they killed somebody who claimed he was, but wasn't. Yeah. Um, so there's a big difference. And I think, you know, it is it's kind of ironic. I've not read it nor seen the movie. <laughs> We're all talking about it. But I think the great irony is a lot of people are discussing it who actually haven't read it, seen it. They've only been told about it. Um, and it's hard to honestly criticize unless you actually, you know, I think have, have read it and, and understood it. Um, so I'm certainly willing to give it the benefit of, of all kinds of doubts, um, regardless. Well, it just looks cool. I mean, you got like an, you know, you got a talking armed bear walking around. I mean, who's not going to go see that? For yeah, I mean, uh, it's, and it's Ian McKellen, and you know, I could listen to him read their yeah. own book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I, I put it down to this: if you're a person of faith that sees science and faith as irreconcilable, you're going to have a problem with this movie. Everybody else is going to have a good time. You know, I mean, uh, I. You know, uh, if, you, if you're either not a person of faith, or if you're a person of faith who sees science and faith as something that can work together, you're going to be fine. And uh, I'm sorry. I, I would say, Stephen, there, there, I, just since we're all talking about it and none of us have read it, I guess I can throw in my two cents. Um, I got a good uh, read a good article in the Atlantic. Uh, it's online, and I'll provide a link uh, about the transformation of some of Pullman's ideas from the book where I think it's a little more evident what he's getting at to the movie, where I think they toned it down just a little bit, and it's not quite as, uh, maybe quite as strident in, uh, in making some of his points. But it's, it's pretty interesting reading. He's, a, he's an interesting character, a little hard to take. I, my only problem with him, I, you know, I don't have a problem with somebody being an atheist. I don't have a problem with somebody uh, wanting to make you know, their particular point about the Catholic Church, but he really trashes C.S. Lewis. And, and I have a hard time with yeah. We we have soft spots in our our, our heart for uh, the guy who came up with uh, the line, the witch in the wardrobe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's like I, I I'm I'm kind of a live and let live guy. You know, it's like I like the I like the polar bear, but you gotta you gotta let Narnia stay too. Yeah, I mean, and, I like all this. And come on, I mean, him and his and his buddy uh, J R R Tolkien invented the genre he's playing in. So he he, he, should, he ought to give props to the 
to the mountain. Oh, and he trashes Tolkien too. So. Well, yeah. Again, he needs to he needs to give credit uh, for the uh, for the people who built his playground. Uh, but yeah, exactly. gentlemen, don't forget he's also trashing them because it makes good copy. <laughs> well, yeah, oh, sure. that's right. He uh, all talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. We're, we're doing we're doing his job for him right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. Well, that's great. Um, well, Phil, we have an, a guest coming next week, don't we? Uh, yes, uh, next week we're going to have James Hughes on, uh, one of the, I believe, one of the founders of the World Transhumanist Association. Is that correct, PJ? I think. Yeah, so. one of my my fellow board members as well. Exactly. So, uh, looking forward to talking with him. He's, uh, I think, got some interesting stuff to say, and uh, he was available the week of Christmas. So, should be. PJ good. is a great person to know. You know that. <laughs> you know, you, you know everybody in the futurist community. She's well connected. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know, and it's amazing. It happened in a very short time, and I'm starting to realize, <laughs> wow, I really do know a lot of people. <laughs> But no, there, look, the, James is one of the people who I first got to know when I first started doing my research. He was unbelievably helpful, totally opened uh, up doors for me, gave me recommendations for people to talk to and meet. Uh, and really it was through James. He, If anybody's connected, he is ground zero or certainly one of the ground zeros. Um, he's a, a, a great guy, a fun guy, a funny guy, um, a very gutsy guy, and I think you guys will have a really good time with him. Well, that's great. Well, well, be sure and listen in if you get a chance, PJ. I will. Well, that's good. Well, I mean, I guess it's time to wrap this show up. Uh, do either of you have any other thing y'all want to cover before we do? No. Hey, thanks for letting me on. Thanks for going a few minutes late so I could join. Oh, and, and thanks for having me at all. <laughs> Wonderful fun. Thanks, PJ, you're, you're, you're a blast, and thank you so much for, for co-hosting with me tonight. I enjoyed it so much. Thank you. Our music tonight is uh, from a band, and this is appropriate, Phil, I think, because uh, you know half of the, uh, the our, of our hosts and, and our guests uh, are both ladies. It's, it's the band called Girl Stuff. Okay. All right. Yeah, and uh, and so anyway, it, I think you guys will enjoy it. It's uh, the song is blue, and uh, we and we get this started. And I had a great time tonight. And uh, join us again next Sunday night, same time, same place. And uh, all right. And uh, anyway, I, I wanted to announce the time. It's uh, we're we're now at ten Eastern, nine Central, eight Mountain, seven Pacific. Good night, y'all. Good night. I can't believe what you said
The Monopoly Collect to Win game is back at your neighborhood Safeway. Play now for your chance to win a million dollars cash, a vacation home, and more, including millions of instant prizes and money-saving offers. Look for products with the Monopoly Collect to Win game tags throughout the store. Score bonus tickets when you buy participating items and collect game tickets for your chance to win. Shop, play, win at Safeway today. See game rules at playmonopoly.us. Monopoly is a trademark of Hasbro and is used with permission.